The following message is from Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. Uh, who might fit this theme? And I felt this actually the strong pull to preach on the first patriarch of the Old Testament, and that is Abraham, also known as Father Abraham. And, you know, to me, Abraham embodies someone who received a great promise from God, who walked through the disappointment and disillusionment of waiting on that promise, and who ultimately saw that promise fulfilled in ways that no one could have imagined. And what I love about Abraham's story is that his greatest hope and God's greatest promise to him was wrapped around one thing. It was the birth and the life of a single child. And there's nothing, I think, that can embody our hopes and dreams like a child can, right? I know that not all of us are parents in here, but as many of you may know, from the moment you first lay eyes on your baby, it's hard not to get emotional, right? Because you don't just see like a seven-pound little human being. You see all of your hopes, all of your dreams embodied in that little child that you are holding, uh, as many of you may know, we, we have three children, uh, two boys, uh, Caleb and Tim. This is a recent picture we just took last week at Thanksgiving. And uh, our, my two boys are in college now. And then we have our third, our, our daughter, Sayla, who's a sophomore in high school. But what many of you may not know is that after having two boys, uh, we really wanted a girl. Right? And so back in, in 2007, when, when we found out that Kim was pregnant again, we prayed for a girl, and we asked others, can you pray with us? <laughs> it's a solemn prayer request. And, um, you know, I grew up with three sisters. I didn't have any brothers. My wife, Kim, grew up with two sisters, so she's a family of three girls. So we just kind of assumed, like, we're going to have a girl, right? It's in our blood. And yet, uh, you know, we, our first two children turned out to be boys. And don't get me wrong, we were very happy with that, thrilled that we had boys. But we, get, we get, you know, began to wonder, oh, are we ever going to have a girl, you know? And, and so Kim and I pray that God would not only give us a, a third child, but that God would, would grant us the privilege of raising a girl. And obviously, you all know how the story ends. But there was actually a lot of suspense leading up to the day um, that she was born. Because unlike our first two boys, we actually, where we got ultrasounds done at, at like the 20-week mark, and we found out the gender, um, because we we're now praying for a specific gender, we just said, you know what, let's just make it a surprise. Right, we're not going to do an ultrasound and find out the gender this time. We wanted to be surprised on the day of delivery to see if God was going to answer that prayer. And so it was actually a little bit unsettling for me because I'm a planner. And I, I want to show a brief video that I created and I shared with her fr- family and friends right after Sayla was born. That was the video that I shared after Sayla was born. And, um, and I share this because in a small way, I think many of us can relate to Abraham's story. And Abraham struggle. Uh, you may also know what it means to lift up prayers and to ask God to provide you with a child, to eagerly wait and hope with great expectation for a child, and to long to see the promises of God fulfilled in that child. And that, that's the story of Abraham. It begins with a brief mention of his name in the genealogy at the end of Genesis 11. And his name at that point is not even Abraham. It's Abram. Abram, and all we learn is that from him in Genesis 11 is that he has a wife named Sarai. 
and that Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. She was barren. And this is devastating, especially in this day and age, because it was seen as a curse. If you could not bear children, it was felt like a curse because children, especially at that time, they were your lifeline. They were your legacy. There were no retirement plans back then. There were no retirement homes. Your children were your hope. They were your future. They were your security. But in the next chapter, Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and he says this. He says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And what an amazing promise this is. Imagine being 75 years old, you're a childless old man, and you're getting ready to just live out your last days on earth, and God shows up and he says this to you. And sometimes I think the miraculous nature of these Bible stories can get lost because we just grow up at a very young age, you know, hearing them. But, you know, my wife sent me an article last night of a woman from India who back in 2016 gave birth to her first child at the age of 72, (laughs) becoming the oldest mother in the world. I think that's the record. And it said in this article, Daljinder, Daljinder Kaur's dream finally came true after decades of trying to have a baby when she gave birth to her son using IVF in Haryana, India. Daljinder and her husband conceived this child, their child, Arman, with medical help after almost losing hope after 46 years of trying to have a child. And this is crazy. But think about the joy and a- that Abram and his wife Sarai must have felt to not only hear that they're going to have a child at this, young- at this age, but that from this child, a great nation was going to be born that would be a blessing to the entire world. Not just bless them as old parents, but bless the entire world. And the joy of this news probably had them walking on air for months. Right? I'm sure they could hardly sleep. And so they wait. And then one year passes. And then another year passes. And then another year passes. And they wait. And they wait some more. And yet, nothing. Nothing happens. No pregnancy. No child. Ten years pass. And still, no child is born. And the doubt begins to creep in. You know, I'm sure they, they spent many nights, Abram and Sarai, wondering if they actually heard God correctly as time went on. Or perhaps, maybe God changed his mind. So after 10 years of waiting, they decide to actually take matters into their own hands. And in Genesis 16, we learn that at the suggestion of Sarai, Abraham takes their maidservant, Agar, as a surrogate, and she bears a son, and they name him Ishmael. And Abraham is now 86 years old. He finally has his son. And as far as they're concerned, God's promise has been fulfilled with a little bit of help from them, right? Now, I think it's easy to, to judge Abram and Sarah at this point of the story, and, but I wonder how many of us would have the faith and the patience to wait on a promise of God for 10 years, a whole decade before we act on our own? How often do we feel the need to actually step in and, and assist God when we disagree with his ways, 
or with his timing. And I think this is, there's a challenge and a truth in this for all of us. You know, we often struggle to walk fully in the promises of God because we impose our own definitions of when and how they should be fulfilled by God in our lives. But God invites us into an extraordinary life of faith that is not limited by our own plans, by our own presuppositions. He's offering us far more than we can hope for or imagine. And that is what he invites us to in the life of faith. Well, in the this, in this story, another 13 year passes after Ishmael is born. And just as Ishmael is about to come of age he, and assume all of the birthrights of a firstborn son, God appears again before Abraham. And Abraham is now 99 years old. And God restates his promise in Genesis 17, 4 and 5. It says, God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And God goes on to say, yes, Abraham, you're going to have a son. It will be through your wife, Sarah, not anyone else. And by this time next year, this child will be born. And upon hearing this, they both in their own ways, they laugh out loud. They cannot believe it. They're incredulous. And you can't really blame them. At this point, Sarah is about 90 years old. Abraham is 99. How is this humanly possible? But sure enough, the next year, after 25 years of waiting, God's promise is finally fulfilled. Sarah bears a son, and they name him Isaac. And this man and woman who are old enough to be Isaac's great-grandparents, they finally have their son. Now, before I go on, I want to point something out here. I want you to notice the promise I just read in Genesis 17 that God reiterates to Abraham at the age of 99. It's similar, but it's not the exact same as the promise he gives to him at the age of 75 in Genesis 12. It's slightly different. No longer does God say that he will make Abraham into a great nation. He says, I will make you a father of many nations. And this language is more expansive. And the promise is even greater and more glorious here. And in case we miss this, God changes Abram's name to Abraham to make it known. He is not Abram, the father of one nation. He is Abraham. He will be the father of many nations. And this is remarkable because from the very first book of the Bible, I believe God is declaring his great plan of redemption and even embedded his plan in the very name of the first patriarch himself. Through Abraham and his offspring, God is going to draw all peoples to himself, people of every tribe, every language, every nation, every tongue, so that all people might know his love for all the world. And so everything now is back on track. God is going to fulfill his great promise, and the story of Abraham ends happily here, right? No, it doesn't, right? Many years pass, and then we come to Genesis 22. And God calls out to Abraham again, and he asks him to do something that is unthinkable for any parent. God asks him to take his precious son that he has waited so long for, the son by which he had promised he would bless the entire world, and he asks him to offer him up as a sacrifice. In Genesis 22, verses 1 through 3, he says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. You know, this request is so crazy, and it doesn't make sense on any level, right? God hates child sacrifice, and yet here he's asking Abraham to do the very thing that he abhors. And obeying God not only meant killing their beloved son, it would mean killing the very covenant promises that God had already made to Abraham, embodied in that child. It didn't make any sense. It's not just crazy. It's incredibly cruel. But notice when God asks Abraham to do this, he acknowledges the weight of this request, and he says, take your son. Take your only son, whom you love. And this is actually the very first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible. And this is meaningful because oftentimes the first time a word appears in the Bible, it sets the standard for how that word is to be interpreted going forward. And so the story goes on, verse 6, and it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on his Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. And so they both went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And it's just father and son now. And Isaac has all the wood for the sacrifice, and it's mounted on his back. And they're climbing up carrying this wood on his back towards this final hill. And in this cruel twist of irony, Isaac turns and he asks his father, where's the lamb? We're missing the most important piece, father. And Abraham responds, God will provide for himself the lamb. And I don't know if this is faith talking or if Abraham's just trying to avoid a very difficult, heartbreaking question. But in verse 9 it says, when they came to the place which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, just as Abraham is about to carry out this incredibly difficult command, an angel of the Lord appears and he stops him and he says, and Isaac's life is spared. And in verse 13 says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram. It was caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took that ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham finds a ram caught in a thicket, and although Isaac is spared, the ram is not spared. The animal takes his place. In verse 15, it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. If you were at our all-church worship um, service a few weeks ago, you would know we did some sheep trivia. And in that sheep trivia, we, we discovered a ram is an adult male sheep, isn't it? 
And in case we missed it, it is a ram who is caught in a, in a, a thicket, which is a bush of thorns. His head is caught in, in thorns. This male sheep. And it becomes clear that God had never actually intended Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. But was this nothing more than just a cruel test of Abraham's faith? I don't think so. God knows the end from the beginning. He already knew what kind of faith Abraham had. But just as God changed Abraham's name to Abraham to declare to the world that he was going to make him the father of many nations and bless the world by drawing all people to himself, he's now, through this command, declaring to the world how he was going to do it. And we are reminded of this in John's Gospel in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, I, I can't help but think that, the, that the, the Apostle John was thinking of Abraham and Isaac when he penned these words and when Jesus spoke them, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It would be through the giving of God, the Father's own beloved Son, who would not unknowingly, but who would willingly, willingly place the wood on his back. But this time it's not fuel for a burnt sacrifice. It's the wooden of a crossbeam that he would carry and be nailed upon as a substitute, as a sacrifice for our sins. So that we might know the great love of the Father, that he would not withhold even his only Son because of his great love for us. And what begins with the genealogy in Genesis 11 of an old man named Abram and a barren woman named Sarai comes full circle in Matthew 1 in the first gospel of the New Testament. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah. And we jump towards the end of this genealogy and it says, Methon, the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. And you begin to realize all of the hope, all of the expectations embodied in this miracle child found in Genesis would find its fulfillment in another miracle child. Many generations later, in the Gospel of Matthew, where a very ordinary virgin girl would be conceived by the Holy Spirit with a child who would be worshipped as king despite his humble beginnings and whose light and whose love would bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth and near to all. So what does this mean for us? You know, I think it's a nice story, right? It's worthy of celebration, the Christmas story. It's worthy of songs and carols. It's worthy of festive gift-giving. But what relevance does it have for us today? It is highly unlikely that God is going to come to any of us at the age of 75 and tell us that we're going to be the father of a great nation, right? Or that an angel is going to appear to any of us and tell us that we are with child. So how can we relate to any of this in a meaningful way in these promises? Well, the Apostle Paul says this. He says in Galatians 3, 26 to 29, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And this means God's promise to Abraham is his promise to us. 
because it means that since God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham through his son Jesus Christ, we are now all welcomed into the family of God. We are blessed, and we are blessed to be a blessing to all people. And by our faith in Jesus, demonstrated by our following of him, we can become partakers of the promise, that same promise. And we become heirs to an inheritance that our minds cannot possibly fathom. And so what does this mean? It means that my identity is not defined by this world or by others because it is already defined by God. I am his child. I am loved unconditionally. And I am accepted by him. It means I can give God the freedom to answer his promises in his own timing and in his own way. And I can wait on him and I can trust in him because he doesn't need my help. It means I can fully entrust my family, my friendships, my finances, my future to God. And I can be set free from all my fears and anxieties the need for control in my life because I no longer have to impose my own narrow definitions of what God's goodness looks like in my life. It means that I can choose to live and to love and to forgive and to forbear, to pray and to persevere just as Jesus did in radical ways that the world cannot understand even as he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount and even when it doesn't make sense because I am blessed. I am blessed to be a blessing. And, you know, in particular, you know, we just prayed today, uh, our brother June, even for the conflict that's happening in the Middle East between the Jews um, in Gaza. And, and it says here, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. All the barriers, all the boundaries by which the world defines, this is whom you love, this is who you hate. Jesus comes along and just breaks all those barriers. And he says, you are free to love now, as I have loved you. And as the Father has demonstrated his love in giving up his own son, his only son, for you. And, you know, it's, not, it's hard. It's hard to live out these commands. It's hard to step into that promise. But sometimes it's going to look confusing. And sometimes we're going to experience doubts just like Abraham and Sarah did. And we, we wonder, like, did God misspeak? Did I misunderstand him? Is God a liar? Does he really love me? I want to close with one last story. Um, you know, this, uh, this white-haired woman in the very center there, um, she's uh, my grandma. And um, this photo was taken eight years ago at a family reunion. And ten days after that photo, she passed from this world and into the presence of Jesus. And, um, you know, my grandma was, she was the spiritual matriarch of our family. And um, she came to faith at a young age, and she only had one dream in life growing up. She wanted to remain single, and she wanted to serve God as an evangelist, and she believed with all her heart that God had called her to spread the gospel. Michelle actually reminds me, your story actually reminds me of my grandma a bit. But she never made it to seminary because the Japanese occupation of Korea early in the 20th century resulted in the shutdown of all seminaries in Korea. And so she ended up getting married and immigrating to the U.S., and she tried to fulfill her calling as an evangelist uh, by passing out gospel tracts to anyone in Chicago who was fortunate enough to ride on a bus or a cab or a train with her. And she would pack hundreds of these tracts into her purse, and she would pass them out. And she, couldn't, she really couldn't say much. She was not fluent in English. All she could really say is, Jesus loves you. 
and pass out these tracts in her broken English and with her smiling eyes. But that was enough to make some grown men cry. And she would tell us about that. And she was separated from her three-year-old daughter in the chaos of the Korean War, never to be seen again. And so I think she had a deep understanding of the gospel and what it meant to lose a child. And she never stopped hoping, never stopped praying that she might still be alive somewhere in North Korea and that they might be reunited one day. And, you know, that dream would never come to pass. But the remaining son and the daughter that she raised would bear six children. And those six children would bear 16 children plus one adopted child. And in that number are seven elders, three worship leaders, two children's pastors, two missionaries, one executive pastor. And I share this story not because I want to boast about our family's heritage, because honestly, we're not anything special. But I believe God answered the prayers of, of, of my grandmother, not exactly in the way that she had hoped, but far greater than she could have imagined. She never got to be the seminary-trained evangelist that she dreamed of being, but God was faithful to her and God was faithful to her heart for the kingdom. And she's a living example to me of what it means to live in the promise of God to Abraham, which is a promise to each of us who walk by faith. Let's bow our heads together. I invite the worship team to come up as we just spend a moment in um, prayer and reflection. You know, sometimes we, we grow up in church and we hear these stories and they become so familiar to us that they begin to lose their wonder and grandeur. And God, in some ways, becomes small to us. And yet, I think um, God, in his wisdom, has um, ordained us to observe um, these regular rhythms, even within the calendar, to pause, to reflect, and to remember, and to invoke our imagination and our wonder again the great things that he has done, the great things that he is doing, the great things that are to come. And sometimes our our faith is so small, we don't have the imagination. We cannot conjure up the wonder to be in awe of an awesome God. Because we are so caught up and stuck in being... um, upset or angry and frustrated with God because we feel that he has not fulfilled his promise or, or our prayers. And so we can relate to, this, to Abraham and, and Sarah who waited years upon years for God to fulfill his promise, who even tried to help him in fulfilling that promise. And yet God was true to his word, maybe not in, in the way that they thought, maybe not in, in the timing by which they thought, but God was more than true to his word, far more than they could have imagined or hoped for. And God wants to do great things through you, and God wants to do great things if we just step in to the promise of faith, the same promise he gave to Abraham is available to us. And so Christmas is more than just gift-giving. It's more than just singing songs and, and celebrating the birth. It is remembering a promise walking into that promise, living it out by faith.